everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important, as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. It's Eva here. I'm the Farmer and Partner Development Manager with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm during the COVID-19 crisis. Farmers, we know you all are going through daily changes on your farms as you pivot sales and production to meet shifting demand and regulations. You've had many questions for us in the process, and our team at Farm Commons is doing our best to respond through this podcast series. Today we're back for a special episode, which is the first of a two-part series on starting a farm business during COVID-19. We hosted a webinar on this subject last week on May 20th, and in this episode we'll be covering the first half of that presentation, going over important legal considerations for land leasing and business structures when getting your farm business started. Here we go! We are going to be covering four main areas of farm law uh, that new farmers should be um, paying attention to, and that is land leasing and purchasing. And then we'll dive into business structures and then insurance and wrap up with employment law. All right, so when beginning to farm, you are literally landing your business. There is some plot of land that you are either leasing or purchasing in order to cultivate crops or raise livestock for sale, and sometimes both. So we're going to unpack the main legal nuances to make sure that you land strong, um, whatever your operation may be. And so at Farm Commons, we like to illustrate the law through stories. And so let's meet Farmer Sam. And so Farmer Sam was growing seed garlic as a way to raise capital for his own vegetable farm. And so in the fall, he put in $30,000 worth of seed garlic in the ground on leased land, ready to harvest the next summer. So the coming summer was going to be the last summer for Sam on the leased land. He was planning to sell all of his garlic within the year, earn enough money for a down payment on his own land. And then in late September, um, after all the garlic is planted, Farmer Sam gets a call from his landlord and his landlord was in the process of selling the property and wanted to let Sam know that the lease wouldn't be renewed for the coming year. And that was the nature of the call. And understandably, after making this huge investment in the crop and into the land, Sam panicked. He was wondering if he'd be left without any access to the land or the incredibly valuable crop that he planted um, just earlier that month. And so Farmer Sam called Farm Commons in a panic and he, he wanted to see what answers we'd have for him to move forward. And Sam assumed that the law would define what was fair in this situation. However, as is often the case, um, reality was a bit different. And so the first question that we had for Sam was, all right, well, tell us what you and the landlord agreed to do as to um, when and how your lease would renew from year to year. And so Sam was pretty quiet when we asked him this and 
he was confused because um, he and the landowner hadn't agreed to anything beyond accessing the land. They hadn't talked about renewal um, and the issue just didn't come up. And so um, to, to jump forward here to the moral of this story, um, what I need you to know is that state laws that address leasing land are generally a backstop that fills in for tenants and landlords that don't come up with their own agreement. And so for instance, state law may say, notice of termination must be given three months before the end of the year. And so if Sam plants the garlic in early September, a few weeks later, the landlord gives notice at the end of September, the landlord has a legal basis for termination. State law may instead say that oral leases are treated as annual leases and can be terminated at will. Um, so when the landlord decides. Either way, Sam can choose to challenge the landlord's decision, yeah, um, but that will take precious time and money away from the, the farm business, especially if he's starting out. And that's not where we want to put scarce resources. So what we see too often is that we use state law to discover if farmers like Sam have a sliver of hope left um, once something not ideal or bad happens um, or if all is lost. And so instead, let's shift our focus away to preventing situations like Sam's from ever happening. And we want to do this because farm businesses are the most resilient when they have um, thorough conversations with landlords and tenants about the particulars of their arrangement. And so you may be wondering, yeah, okay, Eva, well, how do we do that? Um, how do we start this conversation? Well, I have an action step for you. And the action step is to, to make some space to have that thorough dis discussion with your landlord and tenant that results in consensus, make a goal, make several goals um, that fit, fit your needs. And then once you, you reach consensus, write it down. And so this action step is important for farmers that act as tenants and farmers that act as landlords. And, and we know that some farmers are both. Um, and good agreements can prevent issues from arising either way. And so we don't necessarily have good guys or bad guys in a situation like Sam's. Um, if you do find yourself in that situation, farmer Sam isn't necessarily the good guy. You know, perhaps he knew all along that the landlord was planning to sell. And the landlord isn't necessarily the bad guy. He may have told Sam that he was planning to sell his land and then Sam somehow forgot. And there really isn't a point to the good person, bad person game either. Um, what we want are strong, stable relationships and farm businesses, not blame. And being upfront about our needs, expectations, wishes, and plans helps to get us there. So try taking some time to draft, draft out your needs and expectations and wishes and plans for yourself. Get them down in writing. Think about them. Ruminate on them while you're make, out making deliveries or in the field um, so that you have an idea of, of what you'd like the conversation to be about. And that will help to give you some confidence to get started. Now, of course, there are some limits here um, that we need to mind. And so um, being thorough and, and thinking creatively is not the same as having a lease that protects all rights and privileges of a party um, and is 100% enforceable in court under the circumstances of your whoever else is choosing. That all is a job for an attorney. 
And so what we're talking about here in your action step is being thorough in your negotiations through discussion with landlords and tenants. And so we're talking about coming up with creative solutions that work for the parties and thus are more likely to be followed and, and make everyone happy or at least feel good about what to do moving forward or if an issue arises. And so we're, work, we're, we're really talking about resiliency through prevention. Um, this is very different resiliency through prevention than winning in court. If that is your goal to prevail in court, there is no substitute for an attorney. All right, um, now that we've landed strong or have begun to, let's make sure that we're setting up a resilient business structure that meets your needs, your business partner's needs, and um, the future of your farm's needs. And another story here. Um, let's meet Jack and Jill, two good friends who want to farm together. Jill plans to do the animal care um, uh, when raising beef, and Jack plans to do the marketing and deliveries. Um, they're going to raise the beef or the cattle on Jill's family land. And now I want you to take a moment to think back to all the sweet farm beginnings like this that you've heard. Um, and Think about, write what it says at the top of the slide, what could possibly go wrong? And this is not a fun exercise, but this is what we have to do to manage our risks. And so think about the groups of friends, the spouses, the boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, that go into business together. And, you know, what tales of woe that, that could befall those people, or in, in this situation, Jack and Jill. Um, and you may be thinking, well, they could disagree about how much effort others are putting in. And yeah, that totally can happen. Um, and they, they may disagree on, as for example, for the beef processing dates. Um, there may be disagreement about investing in specific equipment. Maybe Jack thinks um, they need to get a new trailer. And Jill says, the one on my family's land is perfectly fine. And there may be disagreement about how or where to market a product. Um, they may fancy different farmers markets or, or different stores or institutions, and they don't have the time and, and bandwidth to do it all. Um, and maybe somebody wants to stop raising beef, but that makes the venture less financially viable for the other. Or somebody dies, um, and we don't know what to do with their interests in the business. Or they have a falling out, and they don't want to be in business together. Now, th these are the things that may have likely crossed your mind, um, but I bet that these thoughts did not cross your mind. Um, and so I bet that you weren't thinking this business will go down because they chose to form an LLC over an S corporation. Or they remained a general partnership and didn't form a limited liability company. How reckless of them. And so the virtues of a limited liability company or LLC and corporation are important and we're about to get into them. But right now, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the much more likely reason that farm businesses fail to thrive or even survive. And we call them the big D's. And they are disputes, divorce, disability, death, and drug abuse on the farm. And so moving forward, I want us to spend a little bit of time right now to talk about preventing those much bigger and much more likely problems from occurring. All right, now let's imagine um, if all farm partnerships answered these six questions before they ever started in business together. 
What does each partner need to contribute to the business? Is it money or labor? And when does that contribution happen? How are we compensated for our involvement and when? Who makes important decisions about big issues like buying property or going into debt? And what happens if someone wants to leave the business? What do we do with their interest in the business? How do we handle disputes? And what about any annual budgeting, financial procedures, or government obligations? Who's going to keep up on those? And so we'd be a lot better off if we got to all of us and got on the same page about it before moving too far forward in the business. And the really good news here is that forming a business structure can help us sort out each of these issues. Um, and that's when we write all of our answers to these issues into what we call an organizing document. And so an organizing document is designed to answer all of these questions. And when farmers discuss and agree on these issues in advance, they can create effective pathways forward that work and they can do it before problems develop. And so it's very similar to what we learned with leases. Also, just as with leases, um, state law is there to provide a backstop or a backup or a safety net, quote unquote safety. <laughs> and so if farmers, if you don't decide for yourselves what happens when someone wants out of the business, state law will step in with a quote unquote solution. However, you may not like this solution. And so, for example, state law might require that your farm business buy out a departing partner within one year which may or may not be possible for you or the business. And so the solution that we create for ourselves is generally a whole lot better than what the state would create for us, um, especially considering that these rules weren't written with farmers in mind. And so each business structure has a different name for its organizing document. Um, and I'm about to share with you a table to sort out what all we're talking about here. All right, so um, on the left, we have different business structures and on the right, we have the corresponding organizing document. And so that the limited liability company or LLC's organizing document is called an operating agreement. Uh, corporations have bylaws, that's their organizing document. And sometimes they're also called shareholder agreements um, and partnerships simply have a partnership agreement. And so each of these has different names, but they all do the same thing. They answer the questions that we just discussed on the previous slide. However, um, the majority of farms gloss over this really important step. Often farms who form LLCs don't write an operating agreement at all. And this is in part because it isn't required in many states to actually create one. And so farms that form corporations are required by law in many states to have bylaws, um, but many farmers will simply take a template from the internet or use a version from their relative or neighbor, you know, to check that, that box off. You know, we did it, it's done, now on to more farmy things. Um, and some farms do work with attorneys to have these documents drafted. But in the interest of keeping attorney fees low, those farmers don't get into the details um, on the specifics of what would really work and create solutions for the farm business, their particular farm business. And this is very understandable. Nothing in the experience of forming an LLC or writing any of these documents is made easy on the farmer on top of all the other nuances and tasks required of a farm business. And so the templates that you'll find in libraries or online are difficult to read and they take time because of this. 
And if you ask an attorney to explain the document to you or suggest other options, you pay usually by the six minute increment for the answer. And no one tells you how the document can be adapted to different scenarios or needs as, as the life of your business continues on and you, you reach different stages and have different needs. So as a community, what's happening here is that we are missing a huge opportunity to create real solutions to the real problems that you all face on your farms because we can't fully engage in writing these documents. And so this is what we need to take away from this conversation about business structures. And it's that organizing documents can prevent problems if they're crafted specific to your farm's needs, to the number of um, uh, business partners that you have, to the nature of your operation, um, to, to the way you're, you're structuring investments and assets. Um, that's gonna look different on every, on every single farm. And so the organizing document should be tailored to the needs of every single farm um, that has one of those business structures on, that we just picked through. Um, and if farms don't craft their own organizing documents, the state has a default plan. Um, and so what this all means for farmers is that when you take the time to write a thorough organizing document that creates real solutions for your unique situation, uh, you are creating greater legal resiliency and you're, you're steering the boat of what you want the solution to be for your issues on, the, on your farm rather than um, relying on state law to have a blanket solution for you in the case that an issue does come up. So the action step here is, you may have guessed it, write an organizing document um, that creates real solutions for you, your partners, and your farm's needs, circumstances, and expectations. Again, just as with the lease conversation, this is a tall order. This is hard stuff. You know, having the time and space and, and the agenda to, to get ready and discuss these things with your business partners is hard work, but it's the hard and important work of building relationships. And so that's really what legal risk management is all about, building strong relationships and then getting what we agree to down in writing. Now, of course, as I mentioned with, with leases, there are some limits here. Um, it's perfectly safe to create solid solutions that go into those organizing documents. Um, doing those things is not acting as an attorney and it's not replacing the work of an attorney because this is what attorneys do. Attorneys know the nuances of state laws that protect enforceability of creative solutions. And attorneys are also familiar with subtle advantages and opportunities that are available for specific situations. So if legal advantage and enforceability is, is really your goal, that's what you're seeking, um, only an attorney can provide that. Now, that's not to say that we're going to leave you out in the cold on those details. Um, we have a wonderful guide that addresses all these business structures that I've mentioned and more. Um, and the the different considerations for forming each one, um, as well as some sample operating agreements. Um, and so Sarah will be dropping a link to our Farmer's Guide to Business Structures. And this, this resource is available for free download on our website, um, or you can buy a hard copy from Sarah. The link that Sarah is going to share in the chat box will take you straight to the PDF download, um, and you'll just have to create an account with us at Farm Commons to, to access it. I will warn you, it's um, on the order of over 300 pages, so, so do make sure that you um, download just one copy or that you have enough um, data room on your, your devices. Um, all right, so now 
onto the the, the easier work <laughs> in comparison to to making the time and getting organized to have the conversations to build strong relationships and that's choosing a business structure and i do want to acknowledge that this can feel very daunting um, but it doesn't have to be and so we're going to unpack it a bit here so some business structure options will protect personal assets um, from business liabilities. And so sole proprietorships and partnerships do not offer this protection. Um, sole proprietorships or partnerships are the default business structures when doing business either alone. So if you're doing it with yourself, you're a sole proprietorship or with a partner, your partnership. And those are formed without taking any action at all with the state. For farmers who um, are compelled by this, this personal asset, excuse me, protection, you will need to officially form a business structure with the state. And LLCs or limited liability companies and corporations are two of the most popular options for protecting um, personal assets. So think land that you own, um, if you have a second house, a cabin, a boat, those kinds of personal assets um, from business liabilities, debts and damages. However, this protection must be earned. It's not automatically given just by virtue of forming an LLC or a corporation. Um, so what's really happening is when you form an LLC or a corporation with a state, you're, you're basically making a bargain with the state. Um, the state gives the business owner personal liability protection, but in return, the state expects the business owner to act like there's a difference between personal and business affairs. And so some very well-meaning farms will form an LLC, but then continue to run both personal and business expenses out of the same bank account. And that's a pretty quick way to get any court to ignore the LLC and give access to personal assets anyways, if and when an issue does come up and go to court. So farms also need to follow through with using separate banking accounts, filing, um, excuse me, filing the annual report. I mean, follow the date for when they're due for sure, um, but make sure you file those reports. And if you don't, you could risk losing the personal asset protection offered by those structures. And so it's, it's honestly not common that any court will try to get around an LLC or a corporation. Um, but then it's also not common that anyone ever needs the protection of a limited liability company or, or corporation. But if you're going to go through the effort and the expense of creating one here in North Carolina, um, it's about $150 to create one and then a $200 annual filing fee. Um, and th that adds up pretty quickly. You might as well make sure that it's going to work for you and your farm. So some farms are are actually not compelled just by this protection of personal assets. Um, some farmers are content to rely on the protections provided by bankruptcy, the, the bankruptcy code, to preserve personal assets if push comes to shove. And other farmers prefer both the belt and the suspenders approach. And so they rely on bankruptcy protection, but also form an LLC. And some other farmers don't even care about the liability protection at all they choose to form an LLC because it gives the impression that they're, they're serious business people or they really want to put um, Sunshine Farm LLC on a t-shirt or a business card. Um, and none of those choices are wrong. And it's the decision of which business structure is really just about meeting your individual goals and preferences. And so I hope I've given you some um, helpful fodder to consider as you make that choice.
Eva, we've got a couple of questions about business structures. Would now oh, be yeah. a good time to answer some of these? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna start with this one from Rachel, uh, who says, what are things you should consider if you are a sole owner or single member LLC when writing an organizing document? You know, what should you be clarifying with yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. We often get that um, a version of that question in our workshops because, you know, it's if it's just you and you're the single member LSC, it's not like you're having to debate with yourself about how to make decisions, <laughs> hopefully. Um, but again, like I said, with the personal asset protection, it isn't just given when you form the LLC, it must be earned. And the way you earn it is to show that there is a distinction between you as a citizen and you as the business. And a, a really powerful way to do that is to write the organizing um, document or the operating agreement for the LLC. And so in your single member LLC um, operating agreement, you can set forth the procedures and the day-to-day -day operations um, for the business um, and put forth um, an entry plan. So say, you know, you're farming right now as a single member LLC, but what if you have a sibling or a cousin or a friend or someone later down the road who wants to join the business, you can set forth a process for entry and also plan for exit. So when you decide to not, to not be in the business, you can plan for that. Um, Sarah, I'm like drawing a blank on other things to include. No, that's that's right, Eva. That's all great, and I, I think a couple of things I would add is, you know, in a in the usual operating agreement forms that you see, like the one we've got here in, in Oregon, um, you're going to be as a single member operating agreement, um, be including things like how do you contribute capital to the LLC, and there's a place for you to write down how much money you have put into the LLC, for example, and that's really important to keep track of it because if you dissolved it, that's the money that you would get back. Uh, you'll also be looking at things like, how do you make distributions to yourself? And what about loans? How do you handle those? A um, lot of information about um, how you handle the banking and the, the, the accounts. So it really is uh, a very helpful instruction manual for you yourself, even if you're not going into business with anybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. Um, maybe one more question before we move on. Yeah, let's see. Eric asks, I'm still unsure the top reasons for forming an LLC. What if I don't form an LLC? What if I'm just a small three acre farm? <laughs> I hear you. Um, so the top reason, uh, that many farmers consider forming an LLC is for the personal asset protection from business liabilities or debts or damages um, that the business is responsible for and to add a shield for personal assets. Again, second house, um, land that you own, a boat, but those those are above and beyond, what we call above and beyond assets and not everyone has those. And so some farmers who don't have personal assets that they wanna protect in that way, aren't compelled to form an LLC. Um, and we see many farmers who choose to remain a sole proprietorship if they're farming and running the business just themselves and making sure that they have the right insurance, um, which is the next section we're about to dive into. And so um, if you're just you and your three acre farm, you can totally continue on as a sole proprietorship, but just make sure that you do have the right insurance um, to cover, cover your personal assets and your business assets from business liabilities. Um, and so I'm actually about to address that now. 
So anything else you want to add, Sarah, before we move back to the presentation? I think that's great, Eva. I would just add a, one more thing, which is that sometimes you have to form an LLC because say you have a contract with a school or a government agency and one of their requirements is that you have a, a business structure, a corporation mm -hmm. or an LLC. So sometimes it comes down to, it's just kind of what you have to do to do business. Yeah. And, you know, and we do have one more question too from Julia. I wanted to cover in the business structure section, which is uh, what structure does a social enterprise inside a nonprofit fit? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I totally understand the question, but um, maybe you do, Eva. <laughs> well, Sorry, I, I understand the question in connection with a farmer that I know, who's an executive director of a nonprofit farm in Detroit, um, and they have recently started a housing enterprise to house guests who come to their urban farm and because that enterprise is generating a lot of revenue over and beyond what the nonprofit needs to be or wants to be making they have formed a separate llc um, for that extra enterprise so maybe julie's asking about creating another business structure spurring off of the nonprofit, which to my knowledge you can totally do um, but i'm not quite sure about forming an like an llc within a nonprofit. i don't to my knowledge, think you can do that. Yeah, that's tricky. I think what, what Julie's getting to is, you know, what if you want to do both um, pieces, if you have a real, you know, charitable mission where you're going to be growing food and giving it away maybe to a, um, to a food bank, and then you also are growing crops for production and selling them. Mm -hmm. um, in that case, maybe you do, do need a couple structures. Um, Julie mentioned that she loves the farm stay, so maybe she's thinking about uh, that as a for-profit situation. So I would point back to uh, the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures. We have a section there at the end about when you would maybe need to form another uh, another structure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, another area for consideration of adding another business structure is if you are growing produce, raising livestock, and then you decide to add on value-added good production. And so a different kind of product um, with different um, food safety risks and product liability issues, that can be another time to, to think about adding another business structure. Yeah. And one last question from Julie, and then I know you want to get on to insurance, Eva, <laughs> so I'm not, not going to pepper you with any more questions, but the last one I have is why an LLC versus a, a corporation? Oh, great question, Julia. Thank you. Um, so this is a great opportunity to clarify that I wouldn't say it's limited liability company versus a corporation. I would say um, that it's limited liability or a corporation based on your um, tolerance for paperwork. Corporations, like I said, in many states, corporations are required to write bylaws. And in many states, limited liability companies are not required to write operating agreements. Um, and in some states, depending on where you are, Julie and others, um, the fees associated with LLCs and corporations are about the same. In others, there's a noted difference. Um, and also, which I'm about to get to, there may be different accounting fees for each. And so all good things to consider um, when trying to choose. And so I'm going to take it back from you, Sarah, if that's okay. And unless you have anything else you wanted to add to Julie's question. No, you got it. Okay, cool. Um, 
So talking about business liabilities, I do want to rephrase things a bit here um, regarding the benefits of an LLC and a corporation, um, which I hope will flesh out some more of the answers you all were hoping for in your, in your great questions. And so um, an LLC or a corporation forming either of those entities does not protect business assets from business liabilities. Uh, there is no business structure that does that. So most farms have pretty valuable farm assets, like your equipment, your machinery, your tools, um, maybe a farm vehicle, but please note that those are not personal assets, um, but business assets. And business assets are not protected by, from business liabilities by using a limited liability company structure or a corporation. The only thing that can protect your business assets is insurance. Um, and I bring this up because we see way too many farmers using an LLC as a lower cost substitute, really a perceived substitute for insurance. Um, and again, that's really not the role an LLC can perform at all. And so insurance should always be your first line of defense for any farm. Um, and it's not necessarily easy to get a good policy, but it will be worth it to take the time and energy to get at least the very best policy that you can um, for your needs. So securing a business insurance policy that covers the risks um, that your operation experiences and understanding what to do if a loss is experienced and developing a good working relationship with an agent who is very familiar with your farm's operations. Um, that effort will all be worth it and yield a stronger return on your investment in the insurance um, uh, that, than focusing on creating an LLC or a corporation. Um, and if you do form either of those, it's great to also focus on insurance. So that's a key point here. Um, whatever you have, you also need insurance. <laughs> um, and so the importance of insurance is a key learning point here. And at Farm Commons, we totally know that finding the right insurance and actually getting covered for your needs or even knowing what you're really being covered for, for what you're paying is easier said than done. Uh, the process can be a big headache and an added cost, but again, it will be worth it. Um, in our litigious society, and litigious means to litigate, to litigate and we litigate by suing and defending. Um, insurance is key to our resilience. So our first risk management tool is building strong relationships um, in the case things change as they do because that's life. Um, insurance will be there as a crucial safety net. So again, if I have not made this clear, <laughs> an LLC or corporation is not at all a substitute for insurance. Um, and I know as you're, you're getting your business off the ground, that may seem like a good deal. In the long run, it really won't because you, you may end up not being covered if and when an issue arises. All right. So now that we're clear on our first two points here, that filing um, a formal business structure like an LLC or corporation is the ticket to protecting personal assets, and two, the ticket to protecting business assets is by having business insurance, let's get into the distinctions between LLCs and corporations. And so some farms do choose other options like cooperatives or benefit corporations or B, B corporations, um, but they are a minority. So in our Farmer's Guide to Business Structures, um, we have dedicated chapters for each of these business structures and others. So do check that out for more information there. Um, but for our limited time, we're just going to quickly look at the distinctions between running an LLC um, and a corporation. 
Um, and so which should you choose? Uh, it's often a practical and a financial question really and not a legal one. Um, so things to consider here. Are the fees different to form one or the other? Um, or does the annual paperwork differ for one versus the other? And as I mentioned, as we were answering questions, that's going to be different in every state. So, so you'll want to check out your state um, agency, usually the Secretary of State, to see what those fees and paperwork requirements are. Another th really good thing to consider is does your tax preparer or your accountant charge different fees for one or the other? And um, do they have experience with one over the other? And so these are all perfectly good reasons to choose um, an LLC over a corporation or a corporation over an LLC. Thanks for tuning in to this first part of our two-part series on starting a farm business during COVID-19. Again, this was the first half of a webinar presentation that we delivered on May 20th last week. Um, and tune into our next episode where we will cover insurance and employment law. Um, and please note that any links that are mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. And if you are interested in keeping up with our future webinars, um, please subscribe to our newsletter. You can do so by visiting farmcommons.org and scrolling down to the bottom uh, and clicking the the button that says sign up for newsletter. Um, while you're down there, if you have found value in our podcast series, in our webinar programming, or in our print resources available on our free library online, um, and you are inspired and have the means to donate and support our work, um, we invite you to do so. We're in an exciting campaign right now where all donations to support the furtherance of legal education for the farming community will be matched um, by a donor, so um, funds are especially um, important and effective now. So again, if you have the means, we'd we'd be very grateful and appreciative if you could support our work um, in that way. And if not, there are many other avenues to engage with us and, and we invite you to do so um, through emailing us questions at info at farmcommons.org, attending our webinars, um, and being a part of the Farm Commons and sharing your legal issues and solutions that you found on your farm with others. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.